Hey, this is Leslie, host of the Rogue Ones podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. You know, I did this limited series in 2018 and 2019. The world was a wildly different place, but knowing that people are still listening to it now and benefiting from these stories brings immense satisfaction. So thank you. If you want to keep up with my own rogue adventures, you can follow me on Substack. Yes, I have one too. An easy link to find that is leslieethompson.com slash Substack. I write on there frequently, but then I'll also post audio vignettes that don't fit into a typical podcast framework. I've been busy, and I bet you have been too, Rogue One. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Now, here's the episode, and I hope you enjoy. You're listening to the Rogue Ones podcast, conversations with extraordinary people doing fascinating things that will encourage us to live with a bend toward the remarkable. Today's conversation is with a voice actor who went from screaming in a metal band to screaming on Wendy's commercials, and all the way, fearlessly following his own path. Welcome to the Rogue Ones podcast. This is your host, Leslie Eiler Thompson. You can find out more about this show and all of its episodes at RogueOnesPodcast.com. Today's conversation is with a rogue who will immediately strike you as one of the most unique people on the planet. In his own words, quote, I never want people to leave a room without knowing exactly what Michael Schwalbe thinks. End quote. So there you have it. Michael Schwalbe grew up in central Illinois and after following his gut to several locations along the way, has ended up in Los Angeles and is working as a full-time voice actor. What you'll learn today is the importance of just doing something and doing it well. Enjoy this conversation with Michael Schwabe. Michael Schwabe, welcome to the Rogue Ones podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. So I feel like I just need to ask you the question, you were born and then what happened? Because (laughs) you were perhaps one of the most interesting people also. Well, it all started at the turn of the century, um, 1900 that is, and now, uh, I was born in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, uh, 1988. And, uh, I was in the worst part of the state, uh, Decatur, Illinois, and three, two and a half hours from the nearest airport. I was blessed to have a family that was is still together and uh, and just loving and supportive. Um, but none of them really are very creative, and I don't want to like be offensive about that. But like. My brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, nobody's really musical or artistic, but they wanted me to be creative. And and so I started taking piano lessons when I was real little and then switched from that to the drums and I played drums for like 14 years and um but never really did anything vocally and I outside of my car. And mm. so when I got to college um, and, you know, throughout high school, I was like marching band, pep band, jazz band, you drum play? line, was always drums. Um, and so I thought I wanted to be like a rock and metal drummer. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life because I had kind of these disparate talents. Like I was also had gotten really into sketching and drawing and like I really liked writing. I was really good at, at prose and uh, and poetry. And so but then I was like, well, what do I do with all these things and so then I was like well I guess I'll go to this school for journalism because like that has writing and I sure I don't know but then so I I was double majoring in journalism and uh, anthropology with a sub focus in uh, South American um, Andean 
Stop. <laughs> Archaeology. I love ancient history. I've always been fascinated by learning about kind of the indigenous tribes and archaeology and, and that sort of thing. But it wasn't something I was going to do for a career. I just thought the subject matter was fascinating. So it was something that was fun to take while I was miserable in my journalism classes. So I started doing journalism and right away they're like, you've got a great voice for broadcast. Despite that, they never had me doing any journalism class, like uh, broadcast stuff. Around the time that I was going to start my next semester, I found out that they were going to have you do uh, your next major class was a 20 hour a week uh, part time job at the local newspaper doing sports writing. Oh, only ah! sports. So I was like, no way I will be miserable. Um, no offense to any listeners that like sports, but I completely don't. I was like, well, I know what I'm going to do. And and through the last two years at the University of Missouri, I had, uh, you know how you get to college and everybody's like, you got to get plugged in. You got to do all the things. Mm. And you fill up your schedule RA, way too much. I was so I had to yeah. say all those things. Yes. So uh, I was just kind of walking around campus and I saw a thing uh, for choral tryouts. And so, well, people say I've got a good singing voice. For me, it was always because I am compelled to do stupid voices. And so I had my good singer voice. So I had always had this, you know, perception of, of opera as being like the, you know, resonant, full, and so then, like, I could replicate that in my brain, and then, so when I got to the tryout, they were like, okay, do you have a, a piece prepared? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and they're like, do you have an accompanist? <laughs> no. Do you, I don't know what I expected, but, and then and they were like, uh, can can you read music? And I'm like, not really. And they're like, okay, well, <laughs> sing. I could read rhythm because I was a drummer, but I can't read like key signatures and stuff. So then they're like, okay, uh, sing. To their credit, they didn't just kick me out. They're like, sing They didn't sing ask if this. you were lost? Are you? Yeah. I just got really into singing. And um, so I called mom and I'm like, mom, I'm dropping out of college and I'm going to move to Nashville and I'm going to be a rock star. <laughs> And, yeah. and she's and she's like, how about we find you a school in Nashville instead? Aww. And I was like, okay, okay, that's probably prudent. So I went to Nashville and got in, involved at Belmont and uh, couldn't decide if I wanted to do the commercial vocal program or if I wanted to uh, do music business. And so I, I was just like, God, I feel like you've brought me here. Hmm. Uh, if you want me, to, I'm going to try out for vocal. And if you want me to do business, make me fail my audition. And so I auditioned and I bombed it and I went and did music business without a second thought. What, and it was what do you mean right you bombed it? Like what is, what did that? Just, I don't know, bad pieces. I got really super nervous. My pitch was all wonky. I just didn't, didn't sing well. My uh, prepared CD thing that I was going to be like my backing tracks uh, just didn't work on their CD player. So I had to sing with an accompanist that I'd never met, who was amazing. His name was Brooks. Um, yep, Brooks played for my audition too. So I didn't didn't do well, and uh, without a second thought, went to music business, and it was totally the right choice. And the way that our paths crossed is you had a metal band. I did. Invicta, and my now husband, then boyfriend, was wrangled into being guitar player number two. Yes. Next to DJ. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of the first times that the three of us hung out was on that church retreat. <gasps> Wait. That right, because Mike, Mike wasn't even in the band. 
No. We weren't even dating. Yeah. Yes, that, right. It was Belmont Heights. There was a church down the road from Belmont called Belmont Heights. And we all went there. So, but yeah, we went on that church retreat and that's how we met. And uh, it's another lifetime. It is. How did Mike get wrangled into the, was it from you meeting him there? I think it was, uh, I think he, well, DJ and him were both guitar majors at the time. So I think DJ just kind of met him and I was like, oh yeah, I know him from church. He's a good dude. And so we had him try out. Good times. Uh, And so I did the the Belmont thing. Um, Another uh, kind of fortuitous God moment got me roped into um, working at Word Music. And for those that are listening who don't know, Word is the Christian division of Warner Music. And uh, then that was when you, then you ended up coming to Word as well, uh, maybe another year later. And uh, through then kind of happenstance, um, I wound up getting to do some projects with them doing voice stuff that made me realize that like if I'm good enough for these artists I'm good enough for myself so I decided that I would just sell myself instead of selling music and uh, it was off to the races it was probably like a year ago this month that we had coffee because I had just started my self-employment journey and I was kind of thinking along the lines of a few people had said to me you should consider doing voiceover work. And I was like, I need to take Schwalbe to coffee and just pick his brain. And one of the most interesting things you said was that you, you did like, you didn't see it as a trial run. You were like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And that was so profound to me. Can you speak a little bit to that? Like, yeah. Um, and, and what would the rogue ones kind of being about, uh, things that have enabled you to, uh, to make these, leaps of faith you know i i had my family's support and even though they thought i was kind of insane um they were like well if you think you can do it uh we got your back kind of um so i i saved up money for a number of months um helped enormously by the fact that my grandparents paid for my college education uh which many people don't have that luxury but um even if they didn't even if they didn't, I've, I don't think it would have stopped me or anything um, because money was never like, th- I mean, obviously money is important and I was very keenly aware of just how much money I was going to be losing by leaving my job. And I mean, I guess like part of me thought it, it could and I was like, well, I guess if it if it ends up not working out, I'll go into real estate. Well, and that's an, it's just an interesting side note that sometimes what we do full time, I have a good friend who technically nannies full time, but that is not how she introduces herself to people. And that's, she likes doing it fine, but just because we're doing something full time doesn't mean, you know, that is what we are pursuing. One of my favorite, um, proverbs, I guess, uh, in that situation is if you are what you do, if you can't, you aren't. I got to think about that. If you are what you do, you can't. uh, hmm, Yeah. So Mm -hmm. basically saying that like Mm -hmm. you can't have your career tied to your identity or you can't be like introduce. This is how I introduce myself is like this is what I am is my job, because then if if you lose that job, you'll like lose yourself. So while while. I don't introduce myself. I guess I do if people are like, so what do you do? Then I'll, I'll say I'm a voice actor. But like, you know, even when I left Word to get into this and it was like, well, if it if it doesn't work out, I'll do real estate. Like, I'll just, I'll make something work out. But I was just so, 
I never even like researched real estate. I was just supremely, supremely convinced that this is what God wanted me to do. And in hindsight, I was right. But um, I didn't have a plan B. My plan B was making plan A work. So actually, so family paying my college tuition was really helpful. Um, Incredibly helpful. Which is important for us to acknowledge the times yeah. in our life when people have done things for us that we just possi- could not possibly do. Yeah, own. yeah. And and that while, you know, even if I was, like, like I was saying, was that even if they hadn't done that, though, I don't think that it would have stopped me because I left a full-time salary job with benefits. Like, I had all my health care covered. I, they had a great health care. Um, I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. Oh, the days. And oh, the days. I saved up money. Um and then I also was my, another very lucky situation that helped me make it possible was that I, at the height of the housing slump, I had managed to buy a uh, condo. And so I, so I started renting out half my condo to help with just some extra cash flow. And, and that also um, just helped, helped a lot. And, uh, and I knew that, that my family would have my back, even though my grandfather in particular like had several discussions with me that was like, are you sure this is, I mean, I was like, no, you can, you got to trust me, man. It's going to work. One of the interesting things my dad said, even when I switched, when I switched jobs from working with Word and then this um, Getty Music, which is a singer, it's a hymn, a couple that write hymns. And he said something so profound to me, even though it wasn't very profound, it was a silly question. He's not a musician. He just said to me, so if they decide to stop singing, do you lose your job? And I just kind of had this moment where I was like, yeah, kind of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's what happens when you're, when you are yeah. working in someone else's dream well, is they I, stop their dream and your you job st- is yeah. done. Well, mm-hmm. and it's, it's fairly, you know, it's fairly the same for what I'm doing now that like, yeah, you know, people see me as, as successful and I'm booking work and, but like really every time the current job ends, I'm like in a constant state of unemployment. I mean, because the gig always ends. Yeah, the gig always ends. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any. I don't have any long-term gigs going on right now. Are there any opportunities that are ongoing for voice actors? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I've I've got a, f- a friend of mine who's got a gig with uh, Pandora, where they'll just send him Pandora spots um, for the radio, and he makes like six figures off that one client. Um, and they just send him a couple every single day. If you're the brand, are you the voice of Ford, or if you're like a network promo guy, they call that like the gold, the golden handcuffs because you you gotta gotta Ooh. be there on the microphone. That's um, good. The golden yeah. handcuffs. Yeah, because like you can't really have a life. You know, I I was uh, inviting a friend of mine um, out to, to go do something. He's like, well, uh, we'll, we'll have to do it over in, in my neck of the woods because, uh, I got to be back at, at such and such time to do my promo for the wow. day. Do you find in your line of work and in your expertise that you can, you should and could diversify? Meaning in my marketing world, it's good to have a few retainer clients, but then it's good to have different project as well, projects so that if one goes away, I still have everything else. Like, is that still? Oh yeah. Um, that was my, my second year doing this. I got lucky and I got two different clients that each paid, uh, low five figures. And, um, and Mm -hmm. so between those two, they were more than half my income for that year. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time in the same month, uh, both of them stopped. 
Yeah. So my income went down like 60% and I was making like nothing for several months, pretty much. Mm -hmm. I, you know, under a thousand bucks a month. And it was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Yeah. Uh, You know, this is really, so it took a while to get the ball rolling again because I had kind of gotten comfortable with, they were, each of them were sending me a couple things a week, you know, um, and I did 51 videos for one person and 70 for the other. So like it was, it was a lot of work and, um, but it, it can also be difficult uh, in that situation where you, you've got this, this job that's really good. And so then you think, oh, this is the new normal. This is like, I've reached this level of success. I've got this client that's giving me all this work. So even if they stop, this is what I'm accustomed to now. And so like, if they stop and then you suddenly realize that like, oh, actually I was wrong. Like that was an outlier. That's not the new normal. These kind of clients are really hard to get. Um, and so, so you can kind of get yourself false expectations or almost a false sense of security that, that you think I've reached a level where I can attract clients like this. And it's not always the case, you know, you, you have to try really hard to find those kind of people or just hope you pray to God that they come your way. And that's kind of the, the dilemma that I had when I was in Nashville is that I, I was comfortable. I was making a livable income and, uh, and got, had some cool jobs and, um, but then I was talking, when I was out in LA for a trip, I was talking with a friend of mine who's an amazing composer and um, producer. And he, um, uh, he, he wound up doing a production on, a, I think this is me for um, The Greatest Showman. And, uh, and we were out to lunch and he started asking me, so man, why aren't you out here in LA yet? And I was like, well, you know, I just, I love Nashville. And, uh, he's like, you got a lot of family there. I'm like, well, no, they're actually all out. They're in Phoenix now. And, uh, so I'd be much closer out here. He's like, you got like a girlfriend or wife out there. And at the time I did not. uh, And he's like, do you have like a pet that like you wouldn't be able to bring out with you? And no, I (laughs) don't have any pets at all. He's like, do you have like a lot of Nashville clients that you have to be in the city for? I'm like, no, my clients are pretty much all around the world. I I don't really have that many in Nashville. He's like, why? Well, are you why? <laughs> and so I was like, well, yeah. when when I put it like that, uh, right? Exactly. When you know, I put and it, like and that. it, it really That's started good. making me think um, that like, am I in Nashville because I think it's what's going to be best for me long term, or am I here because of complacency? You know, and uh, since I feel like I got into this business through God's calling, it was like, do I want to like limit myself based on my own comfort level, or do I want to try to step out in faith that that He's calling me to like see where it's going to go? Like, I would hate to have stayed in Nashville for twenty years and then ended up that like going. Well, what if I had gone to L.A. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so and and then yeah. just when I I, I booked a, a cool a really great video game out in L.A. and so I flew out there for the session and while I was mm-hmm. there I was like you know what I'm just gonna I'm gonna reach out to several of these big agents and I had just gotten a bunch of new demo reels made so I felt really solid about where I was at and and representing myself and so um, 
all three of them, or well, three of the four that I reached out to wanted to meet with me, and then two of them wanted me to read for them. And hmm. uh, and so then... Is that the level then? Is it meeting first and then reading and then they book you, or how does... Yeah, you, usually for, like, and these are, you know, it's different. There's several different tiers of talent agents, and so people would be like, oh, yeah, I've got, like, f- three agents or something, and, and what they'll usually mean is they have three regional agents. And if you're at, like, the, what they call the bi-coastal agencies or the, the major national agencies, um, that's when it's, like... It's a lot more serious. So then you have to like email them usually with at least one really great referral um, to get them to pay attention to you and listen to you. And then they'll listen to your stuff. And then if you're like, hey, I would love to, to sit down and meet with you. Cool. Um, and then if they're interested in potentially representing you, then they'll say, uh, you know, they'll have you read for them, too. And that that's kind of your audition for them. So you moved out to L.A. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've been here about two months now. Um, switching gears to like your background, going back to that. Yeah. I remember you kind of telling me about the voiceover thing and how looking back, you realized it actually, you know, you talked about impersonating an opera singer. But there were several moments in your life where you like can point to that you were like, no, this this idea of making my voice sound like somebody else happened a lot growing up yeah well because people will ask me um because it just you know a lot of a lot of people that are getting into the business are trying to like learn acting techniques and developing like a backstory for their characters and then for me it's it's just always been very second nature it's it's very easy for me to just kind of be this person instinctively and so then people be like, well, you know, how did you develop that sense? Is it, you know, did you act a lot in school? And it's like, really? No. Um, did you, you know, I, I wasn't a performer. Uh, I was a drummer, you know, I, so I guess I was a performer, but I wasn't like a singer on stage, like being other people in musical theater or anything. So, uh, and so I was kind of trying to think like, well, where would I have exercised this acting muscle? And, <clears throat> And, and I think I really, I'm convinced now that it was because of my little brother and I, because we would spend thousands of hours in the woods around our Illinois home. Uh, we lived next to an abandoned Girl Scout camp. Um, <laughs> that was, it was, it was supremely creepy. It looked like something out of a Saw movie. It was almost like if anybody has played like Dungeons and Dragons, because my brother was like kind of the, the editor and the creator and then I would obviously help but then we would just play out these long storylines that we would both make up and both of us would be half the characters and we would we would do the voices and we would play I mean and some of these stories we would play through for years really um, yeah years of of us uh inventing the next plot point and like but see that's and that's why I wanted to get into Dungeons and Dragons because there is this element of building a story and it's it seems as though it's yeah. it's mostly just storytelling and yeah. and and you're making it all up and it's just pure imagination and and story but yet you kind of have to know what makes a good story in order yeah. for it to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, and uh so so through doing that and and I guess you could just say it was role playing kind of uh that we would just 
for thousands of hours. Like we would, mom would have to repeatedly tell us to like come back inside or like go to bed because we would just stay up for hours playing out the, cause we couldn't wait to see what would happen next, you know, in our, in our story. And so then when, now that I'm older, it's like, I can just kind of lapse into that, that mindset again of like, now I am no longer Michael Schwalbe. I am this, like this aged King who's watching his like city crumble around him, but he's too, his, his hubris doesn't allow him to like admit his errors or something. It's almost like in a moment you are, you have done backstory research just in an instant well and it's making the decisions because like a lot of people have you know analysis paralysis where they're like well you know how what what texture should i put on his voice and like i don't know it's the difference between acting and being yeah Ooh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i i just try to be that person rather than like impersonating what i think they would sound like i it's more of like okay well if these were the events that had led me up to this point in my life how would I, how would, how would I sound if I was in that situation? So now just switching to general overall, being a rogue, being, doing your own thing. Uh, you, you, I've said it at the beginning, you are perhaps one of the most interesting people. Sometimes you don't have a filter and I think you know that. <laughs> yeah. I, my goal is for nobody to ever leave a conversation with Michael Schwalbe going, I wonder what Michael really thought. I think you are meeting your goals. I think you are meeting your goals. Well, and that's what I appreciate about you is that yeah. I will. I there is no one else on the planet. There, what you there see is, is what of, you get. What you see is what you get. Actually, the the guy that I worked for, you guys are a lot alike. Um, and and you have no choice with people like you. You have absolutely no choice but to be honest with them because th- you you will not continue a relationship with them unless you are being honest. Um, so. There's that. Um, you're unashamed to like what you like. You ha- at one point have been a metal screamer, and then you went to screaming on Wendy's commercials, which I love. <laughs> I know, right? A Wasn't screaming that great? monkey. I'll go ahead and it's, just. Put- it's funny to me. It's funny to me just how much that metal uh, side of me has contributed to character work and and commercial work and all really? that stuff. Really, because it's um, it's but- using the fullness of your. Yeah, and like just the techniques that I've that I managed to to figure out, and um, the the methods that I was doing to be able to make those kind of extreme vocals sustainable and uh, and consistent. Then, when you are brought in to voice something like a screaming Wendy's monkey, mm-hmm. um, which I will put the I mean, link to that commercial in this okay. description. Okay. Um, <laughs> You can, uh, I mean, when I got to that session, I had to do it for an hour and a half. So I auditioned for this through one of my regional agents. Um, it was TAG. And they uh, said in the specs they wanted this monkey uh, character um, for Wendy's union TV and radio campaign. They wanted a loud talker. And I was like, I can, I can talk loud. So I said, so my, my, my audition was like, Hey, Greg, Greg, hey, the new Wendy's double stack. And like just kind of that sort of voice. Uh-huh. And so they booked me on that. And so I go to the session and they they were thinking of flying me out to L.A. for it. But we wound up doing it in uh, in Nashville just um, remotely. And mm-hmm. um, but my friend Andy, just a dear friend and uh, a strong Christian, um, he 
ended up and it's funny we always joke that we always get cast together he wound up doing the uh, announcer oh cool so i get to the session and they're like all right just uh let's run through once like you did in your audition so i'm like hey greg you know and so then they're like uh yeah that was that was good can you do one where you're like kind of just yelling it and so i was like hey greg uh you know Wendy's double stack and then they're like yeah um let's let's just for fun let's just try one where you're just screaming at the top of your lungs <laughs> and that was when I went hey Greg <laughs> and that was it and then they're like yeah that's what we want <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> and so for then an, for an hour and a half an I went half. through uh and it was just doing all the like the new from Wendy's double stack, like just at the top of my lungs. And, um, but I remember one time you were trying to give me a metal screaming lesson because, (laughs) you know, my boyfriend at the time was in this metal band and I was around all these metal guys, which was so fun. And there is a side of me that's really into that kind of music. And as a vocalist, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I know that there is a good way to do it and there's a healthy way to do it. And so we were having a lesson and you were trying to teach me about these secondary vocal cords. Yeah. And uh, yeah, your, never your quite fa- got it. Your false chords and the, the vestibular folds. Uh, I remember you kind of got it, and then you're like, "Oh, it feels like I'm toothbrushing the inside of my throat." But that's not that's not something that like because with the singing voice, I can. It's like I can control it in my in my mouth. That's what you've just done. It's muscle control. Yeah, it's less control. I almost felt like when in that lesson, I wasn't controlling my voice very much at all. You know. It's fun, like, that one of the other things I wanted to teach myself was how to sing with grit. Because the reason that that metal technique isn't harmful is because it doesn't use your vocal cords. It's mm. a, uh, it's non-melodic. Your, your vocal cords are just not being engaged. Then I wanted to figure out how to do, like, raspy, gritty singing. You know, honesty, hello, say, right? Like, that kind of, hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Um, so I then found out, well, wait, if I'm teaching myself how to do these mix voice, uh, mix voice, mix layer, like raspiness, or I could subtract that, like I can make those into character voices. Um, cause so then I, I got, I did maybe one of my favorite characters I've ever done and I wish I could do more of him, but the game's done. Um, oh. was a game, a game called cosmic chef cool. and, uh, and they wanted the announcer. It's this goofy. It's supposed to be like a, a reality TV show cooking competition in space. So they were like, well, we want like maybe like a monster truck kind of just want a lot of excitement for this cooking competition. So I, I did a little of that. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's all right. And then I was like, I've got an idea. Yeah. And so I, I married kind of that like morning radio DJ, like super over the top excitement, like Welcome to the morning show with such and such, like that uh-huh. kind of vibe. But then with like monster truck grittiness <laughs> to get this just awesome, uh, awesome voice. I don't even know what to call it, but like it basically sounds like he'd say like, and now for the Gleep Glorp Nebula, <laughs> it's like, it's such and such making the following dish. And so like just cosmic chef. Oh my gosh, like, that's incredible. And it was great. It was so much fun. And, uh, and so, be, but because I could uh, sing like the, yeah, 
because I could do that, then it was easy to kind of get these really high sing-songy, all right, everybody, so come on to the show. And there wasn't like a crazy like break or vocal something in there. People like playing sports or something like the voice is my sport. I just like seeing like what I can get away with and what I can like what techniques you can figure out and whether it's metal or Tuvan throat singing or character goofiness is it's just so much fun. So you are unashamed in the things that you love and you're unashamed in who you are, which is one of the most amazing things. Do you ever feel insecure or afraid? I think a lot of time, I mean, I know I do. I'll be the first to say I do, but what, how what does that look like for you? How do you push through it? Yeah. Um, it happens a lot. Um, I'm, and, and, you know, it's, it's good now that like, so seven or eight months ago, um, I met this just wonderful girl named mm. Courtney and, uh, and she's just really completed me mm. and we're, we're going to get married, but don't tell her that yet. I was more or less single for a, almost a decade. I mean, I dated a few different people, but mm-hmm. like, I, I don't need a relationship to feel whole necessarily. So I wasn't going to like engage in one that I knew wouldn't go anywhere just to have it. So, but you know, after, I don't know, however many years, I just like eight or nine years, you, you do start feeling insecure that like, why is this not working out? And I've, and see, you still trust that like God's timing is going to be sufficient for you, but it's, it's never really very easy to, to trust in that. Um, I, I have been getting fairly insecure. Uh, I'll just be honest. My agency bookings are, are down. I've still been working. I've, I had an awesome video game project in December. So I'm not starving by any means. But, you know, when you, you move out here and you think, like, I'm going to hit the city by storm and I'm yeah. going to, you know, and and then maybe it takes a little longer to, to get that ball rolling than you thought it would mm-hmm. um, can not necessarily be discouraging, but just a little bit like, all right. Yep. I guess I'll just deal with it. Make, is there something I'm doing wrong? And so for me, that usually rather than manifest itself as like, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm terrible at this or I, or I made a mistake. It's more of like, okay, well, here's the problem. What can I do to fix it? Usually if, if something like that happens, my assumption is, well, maybe I've gotten too late or not lazy, but like just Sure. To practice. There's always more work to be done. I'm, I got too comfortable in a certain type of read, and maybe that's not what people are looking for anymore. Um, kind of have to so, bust it, bust it out. Yeah, just like like get myself out of like, okay, this is the samey, same samey thing that I'm reading for everything. Let's let's knock that out, and maybe listen to what other people are doing, and, and go back to basics. And, and you talked about how January is really slow. What do you do in slow months? What is what are the things that you do to keep things rolling I well it it used to be what I would do is I would just try to like start emailing more people again or like look for conferences or conventions and stuff um now it's more of like since I'm trying to I'm wanting to rely more I've got like seven agencies now Now that it's like okay I I need to do less hustling I need to work more on getting my reads up for these jobs where they need to be so that's why I'm so when I when it slowed down for me this month uh, that was when I started like trying to go to more workout sessions book coaching sessions to get get my because the opportunities are there it's it's no longer it's not really anymore that I have to like rustle up the opportunities 
you know, the days of like hoping that you get one audition are, are long gone. I mean, I did 12. I did 12 yesterday. Do you find that the holiday season just completely knocks everything off of its feet for you? Too? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's December is is very slow um, for everybody. January takes a little while to get back moving as well as what I've heard from a number of people. Um, but it's it's fickle because like. I don't know, maybe the first or the second year, like December and January were like some of my best months of, the, really? of that year. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, but of course that was like near around when I had met those couple really big, awesome clients. So. I think that's across the board for everybody. Every self-employed person, it's just like, there's yeah. no, everything just, except, except for people who are like in high demand for doing Christmas parties. <laughs> right. You know, like entertainers who are like. Yeah cocktail singers or whatever yeah, but everybody else yeah, yeah. is like nope or uh financial people there is somebody oh, well, i'm right. in a um networking group with a woman who's a financial planner and all of her clients who they specialize in wealth that's a little higher than what i will ever see um but <laughs> she, you know the last week of december everybody's trying to figure out where to give their money <laughs> for yeah, tax yeah, purposes yep. well swalvi thank you thank I'm you thank you I appreciate you, Thank you taking time to talk to me and to our listening audience out there. Yes, all uh, 5,000 million or of them. Or just one, and it's I... both, or two, both of our moms. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something. If you liked this, I think you will like my conversation with Alan Douglas. He worked in the music industry for a decade, and then he left. He went to work for a financial company, and he says he's never felt more creative. This is for all you workplace rogues, or maybe for you people who think there has to be something else for me that I don't know exists. You can find that episode and more at roguewanspodcast.com. We'll see you next time. <laughs>